for World of Work podcast with James and Jane. Hi everyone, this is Jane. And just before we get into this episode, I want to remind you of all the really great stuff on our website at www.worldofwork.io. Over there, you can check out all the online seminars and workshops we do, as well as our team development programs. You'll also find articles on topics to help you thrive at work. So that's www.worldofwork.io. Now let's get on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the World of Work podcast. You've got James here. And this is Jane. And what are we talking about, Jane? What's our series? What's our focus today? Well, this is the next episode in a series that you and I have been recording together of podcasts around management challenges. So it's like looking at some of the really common things that we talk to managers about that are causing them challenge in their management work. And we talk it through. We talk a little bit about our own personal reflections, whether we've experienced it. And we also talk a little bit about what we might do in the scenario. Recently, we've also been inviting listeners to send in their management challenges. And this is one that's been sent in. And we are going to share a little bit about how do we approach these things. Yeah, brilliant. I think of this as kind of agony aunt for leaders and managers or something like that. Just whatever challenges people face. And we'll chat about them. And I think really what we're doing is we're just sort of chatting about it from a personal perspective. What, what have we experienced? What might we do? What might we think about? This is very much just us sort of stepping into those conversations and sort of uh, reflecting as we process and chat it through. So it's been a really exciting set of podcasts to record. And we've got a new management challenge today, Jane, as you said, something that one of the listeners sent in, they've got a specific challenge they'd like us to, to think about. Would you like to introduce the challenge? What's the high level focus for today? And is there any more detail on it? Yeah, absolutely. So today we are talking about a situation where you're a manager of a team and someone in your team is not taking responsibility for where they need to improve. So we know there's scenarios where you're managing someone, they're a valuable member of staff, but they're not getting everything right. And you keep trying to fix things for them. You give them all the tools, you tell them what you want them to do, you suggest ways they might be able to do it differently. And yet, nothing happens. They're all very enthusiastic. They're like, yeah, 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 I'm going to try that. Yeah, 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 I think that'll work. And then nothing actually happens. So in this particular scenario we were talking about that we were shared with us was you're managing someone and they're not great at organizing their own work. They sometimes miss deadlines. They're not getting some of the tasks done. They're doing other work great, but they're not consistently meeting deadlines, communicating those deadlines and their progress, and then getting the work they've been asked to do done. And so you've had this conversation with this person. And yes, there's acknowledgements like, yeah, yeah, I know I'm not getting this right. What do you think I can do? And as a manager, you've said, well, there's a few things you can do here. That person's gone away and nothing's changed. And so the situation really is, as a manager, how do you step away from constantly trying to fix everything for them? And instead, how do you find a way that encourages and enables them to and helps them to take responsibility for what they need to change and indeed to change what they're doing. So that's the scenario we were shared with. It's something that I think we've picked out of the listeners' comments because certainly it's something we hear quite a lot in management training. I've also got some personal experience of it in certain sort of situations and I've also worked with individuals who've had this challenge, both as the manager and as the individual who's maybe not quite getting things right. So yeah, James, what about you? Is this something you've experienced? 
I was reflecting about this when it came in, and it's certainly something that's very much been in the sort of sphere of my working life. This piece around how do you help people sort of take accountability of stuff? How do you help people really own what they're doing so that they have responsibility for it and deliver on it and meet their deadlines? And in the work that I've done, sort of meet the quality requirements as well. So it's something that I have seen. I'd say I've not experienced something exactly like this myself, and that generally the I guess I've been fortunate enough to work with people who tend to be fairly structured and clear on what they're doing. Maybe that's because the majority of my work has been with accountants and the people that make it through, you know, the accountancy training process tend to, you know, be people who are kind of organized. That's one of the key criteria. So the majority of people that I've worked with haven't demonstrated exactly this type of situational behaviors. But I've certainly worked with people outside of the accountancy world who have and and coached people who have and and spoken to people about this. And I think there are a couple of aspects that sort of came to my mind when you were talking about this scenario. And one is, how do we maybe understand and help an individual change? But I think there's maybe something about us as leaders and managers that's important here as well. Is there something that we need to change as leaders and managers in terms of our approach and behavior and mindset as well? And I don't know if I heard you use the phrase here, but I've heard you use it before, this phrase of being a bit of a rescuer, right? You know, sometimes we can be the rescuer and and sort of block somebody from some of their own poor behaviors by stepping in and helping them when things could go could be going wrong. So I think there's a piece around helping somebody to develop, but there's also a piece around helping ourselves develop as, as leaders and managers. So in short, I guess I have observed this quite a lot and I've got a couple of thoughts about it. I think it's a really interesting thing. And like you say, it's the type of thing that people ask us a lot, right? When we speak to people in various programs and one-to-one conversations, people often want help improving something akin to accountability and ownership within individuals and their team, which is a a broader area than just this, but definitely something that that crosses over with this. Thanks, James. Sorry, I was just pausing a little bit because I was reflecting on your comments about like working on ourselves as managers and leaders. I've spent, I think, a disproportionate amount of time in the last couple of weeks saying to people, either clients or even friends sometimes and colleagues, you can only manage your own side of the conversation. You can only manage your own side of the contract. You can only manage your own side. You can you can absolutely do other things to influence and to lean on or leverage psychological research and management research to help other people. But fundamentally, you can only be accountable for your own behavior and action. And I don't know whether it's just the time of the year. I don't know. But I seem to be talking about that a lot lately with people And I think that's really interesting and relevant in here as well, because I think, well, I'll come on to that when we get onto a bit more detail about what we do. But I definitely think it's really important to recognize that dual responsibility as a manager of the job still needs to get done. And so I think we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah, I've got one other question, because as we've been speaking about this, I've been thinking a little bit about myself, right? And myself being that person who maybe didn't always have accountability or didn't understand or something like that. And I've got a couple of thoughts or sort of snapshots and moments from my own career where I felt like I've had a realization that's helped me move more towards that ownership type of piece. I was just wondering if you've been the same. Have you ever been the person who's maybe struggled with accountability or ownership or things like that? Or- well, I think I've struggled less with accountability and ownership than I have with the actual challenge that was actually sent into us, which is the organization and meeting deadline. Yeah. I guess that sounds slightly contradictory. I guess what I mean is I've never had problems with standing in front of anyone and saying I've screwed up and I've missed deadlines and taking ownership. In fact, to the point where probably unhelpfully, sometimes I take on ownership of other people's, like it's the bit about only being responsible for my side of the thing is a really big thing. 
But certainly I, I've had huge and continue, as you know, James, to have huge challenges around meeting deadlines, particularly when deadlines are, I don't want to say arbitrary because that's not fair because they're not. But Maybe self-imposed. What about someone Or when they're an ingredient to something else. No, because sometimes they're not. There's someone else needs me to do stuff and I still don't get it done because I'm like, well, I know when this needs to be in. And so I have some sympathy for it, but I, it also makes me a little bit, I think, more confident at saying what is and isn't in the sphere of the people who've helped me and the people who've held me accountable and what they should and shouldn't expect of themselves, if that makes sense. So the people who've yeah, helped yeah, me yeah. have held me to account, but have also allowed me to talk about it and process it and try things and fail things and things haven't worked and some have and some haven't. Some things work sometimes and some things don't. And they've let me go through that process. I think that's interesting because I think the industry matters in this space. I think if you're an accountant, I think if you're a nuclear physicist on a submarine, I think if you're in an industry with high reliability needs, so in other words, things go wrong, people die. I think it is a very, very different scenario and you have a very different space for being able to learn and fail about this stuff. And you need different processes in place as well. So I have somewhat sympathy for both sides of the coin, but it probably also makes me a little bit blinkered about seeing it because I see it from my perspective. Oh, it's a great perspective to bring, right? Let's bring some different perspectives and see where we go. It sounds like there's definitely some rich thinking in that space. Okay. So we've both got some sort of reflections and thoughts on this type of context. If you were a manager in this context we're speaking about, and somebody was maybe having some of those difficulties managing their time or, or presenting that way, you had spoken to them about it, you had some concerns, things hadn't really changed. What would you sort of think about at that stage? What would your next steps be? What would the questions you asked yourself be? How would you reflect? What might you sort of do going forward from that point? Oh, that's such a good question. Why don't we start with what sort of questions are, might you have? What, what things would be open? And then let's go on to look at action. From my perspective, if I'm sitting in the manager chair and I've got someone working for me, let's call them Ripley. And Mr. Ripley is not meeting deadlines consistently. And Mr. Ripley is not getting the work done and not telling me about what's going on, even though I've consistently sat down and given them tools. I think there's, there's a number of questions I'd be asking myself before I start this conversation. One is, are the things I'm asking them to do actually needed? There is a real thing where we get into this habit of asking for things that would be nice to have some jobs. And therefore, it doesn't mean they shouldn't do them, but it is important to understand are the things you're asking them to do meaningful and do they understand why they matter and i think that then links to the something like the sbi model we talked about before which is thinking about what is the situation the behavior and the impact right so what is happening even if you're not going to share it with them yet what is the situation where this is going wrong what is the behavior and what is the impact and the thing is it's much easier i think to talk about what people are doing that could be done differently than what they're not doing, right? So, for example, be trying to understand what they're doing instead of that, that work. Because either you think this person is not doing any work or enough work in the time that they should be, or you think they're prioritizing something else. Now, if it's the first, we are not talking really about bad organization. We're talking about effort, laziness, motivation, right? Let's assume for the minute that they are doing stuff. They're not doing the right stuff right? So they're not doing the things like getting things over the line, hitting the deadlines and stuff like that, or they're spending too much time on something so it's not getting finished in time. So then it's a conversation about 
what understanding what they were doing instead of the things you wanted them to be doing or they're slow at stuff in which case it's a conversation about how do they need to get faster at stuff but from the example that was presented to us it's that they're poorly organized and they're not meeting deadlines right now if they're poorly organized generally that means they're doing something else when they do, when you they should be doing the things you want them to be doing in the wrong order right it's rare someone says oh they're poorly organized and they actually mean they're just not doing any work <laughs> if that makes sense so I think there's something about what are they doing instead and why are they doing it? Because I think that's a much easier conversation. And I think it's much more likely to bear fruit of finding out what's going on in someone's head, right? Because it's much easier to say, you didn't hit the deadline for this. Tell me about what you were doing instead. Oh, well, I was working on this and this. Well, why did you choose that work? Then you get into, well, it's because it's the work I enjoyed or it's the work I thought was more important or it's the work that I get credit for or whatever it is. Because I think quite often with this stuff, it's about choices. And about what they're doing. Does that make does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think that's really interesting. And I think as you said, that sort of what were you doing instead conversation can be a really wonderful opener to all kinds of other things. And it kind of puts the ball back in that individual's court and it can raise all kinds of things about, you know, prioritization or pace or quality and things like that. So so I think that's an interesting way in. So I guess one of the questions is what else is somebody doing? Like what's the current state of what's actually happening? in this. And then from there, there's some sort of branch conversations along the lines of why did you choose that? How long did that take? What were the outcomes of that? In hindsight, was that the right thing for you to have been prioritizing? Those types of things. So I think the, the what else are you doing? So I think a really good sort of question to build on. Is there anything else that you'd bring in to think about? Uh, I mean, like I said, it's quite hard for me because it, I relate to this quite a lot as the person mm. who sometimes lets people down. And I think there's so much in my head. So there's a couple of really obvious things that I'd be aware of. Generally, this particular type of challenge, less about stepping in and constantly helping people and more about the organizational side of it. Quite often you may, well, they can be symptoms uh, or concurrent with neurodiversity. So certain Mm -hmm. types of neurodiverse conditions, particularly ADHD, there's a huge number of people walking around undiagnosed. Um, But if you do know that the person that you're talking about is neurodiverse, then it is a very different conversation, right? Because it is about, there's lots of really great materials out there. There's loads of websites. um, Someone like the Genius Within CIC have like really helpful tools around that sort of stuff. That's a very different conversation. But I do think that knowing someone and the level to which you know what works when you delegate to that person generally is really important. So I'd be thinking about where have they got the work done before I do, where have they got the work done? Where has it been? What did I do differently with that person? Helping them almost do a little bit of their thinking for them if they're struggling with it. But I also think there's a really bigger thing, which is what's the job and how are you holding that person accountable for that job? And I think the point that was sent into us was like, I feel like I'm constantly trying to fix it for them. And I think that's where I'd be thinking about, it's worth reading up on transaction analysis a little bit, because I think there's some really interesting thing of being this rescuer or this parent figure that comes in and goes, oh, I'll fix all this for you. And I like, I relate to that totally. Like new people started in my first organization, the first manager. I was like, let me fix it all for you. Let me just lay it out all neatly. And I didn't give them space and time to process. But I think there is a difference between giving someone space and time and leaving them on their own unsupported and giving people space and time and discussing and monitoring how that progress is happening. And I think I'm going to say something somewhat challenging, which I suspect 
I'm not sure where you sit on this. I think I'm not sure. So I am massively passionate about coaching skills for managers, but I think people sometimes confuse coaching skills for managers for I'm just going to leave them on their own. And I think they get the bit wrong about when people need direction, when people need support and when people need to be given details. So there's that. And then the third thing that I was going to talk about was the tools that work for you rarely work for anyone else. Rarely. Now, sometimes that's literally just because we've got autonomy as a thing, right? So we like it when we find our own tools. But also what works for you, James, doesn't work for me. What works for me doesn't work for you, doesn't work for Laura who works with us, right? And so the example that we were given is, oh, I've given them loads of tools. Well, did any of those tools work for that person? Because if they didn't, then it's not the right thing. And so you have to keep trying things with that person, but that person needs to be coming back to you and saying, well, I tried this, this is what happened, and this is why I don't think it's worked, so I'm going to try something else. But that only works if you create that, hold that person accountable for trying. And that means dates in the diary, conversations, and it means this isn't working and I can see that I've missed deadlines. But for me, that's when we've talked about this before on this podcast and on the management challenges, it's about transparency. Where are those deadlines so everyone can see they're being missed? Because it's very easy to bury your head in the sand and pretend it's not happening. But if you've got a dashboard somewhere with a task list and that task list has got things that aren't finished and it's got someone's name against them, and that's visible to everyone or to that team, it's a much easier thing to manage. And it's much easier to self-manage. I've got a couple of sort of thoughts back on a few of them, and then maybe one or two other things that that I'll I'll share as well. At the very start about when we were asking about that, you you talked about, you know, is the work meaningful and does it need to happen? And I think that's a really interesting starting point. And I think that probably there's a little bit of subjectiveness around that, which can make it a little bit of a nuanced difficulty. So what is a quality standard that needs to be met? How important are deadlines? How meaningful is the underlying work? People might have different views on that. So that can be something that's just in the back of my mind is that subjectivity of meaning. I think there can be differences in that. So I just wanted to touch on that. Love the shout out for the SBI model. We might touch on that a little bit later on. Your point around neurodiversity, I think is really interesting. And again, great shout out for Genius Within CIC. I think that's a really interesting thing in here. When we're looking at what are they doing instead, part of me also wondered if there's something about, are there different stages of work at which people maybe struggle more than others? So if there's a deadline being missed, what is the work that the deadline being missed relates to? What type of work or activity is involved in here? Potentially, I know that some people find it much harder to do work with a blank page than they do with a concrete plan right? Or to do the final stages of work versus another middle stage of work. So trying to maybe get a little flavor and understanding of where in that sort of larger process of work is this happening could be really interesting. I think different people need help in different stages or or benefit from support in different stages. So I think the stages are really an important thing to think about. When it comes to your point around people maybe perceiving coaching as maybe abandoning people to do stuff. That's my language, not yours. I very much agree. I think there is nuance around empowerment and support. I think sits, and and for me, it can sit within the coaching approach, but I can very much see why sometimes it doesn't. So making sure that the empowerment and sort of leaving people to have autonomy and accountability and to own this stuff is supported by your support as a manager. And at times that is direction. So for example, some people really do struggle with an early stage piece of work. With a blank canvas, people can really struggle. And if you just say, here's a deadline to do something, and 
they can never get past that blank canvas because they need maybe some help and support doing that structuring. Maybe what you'd end up with is as a leader or a manager identifying sub-stages in work where a little bit of support or guidance or guide railing could really help accelerate this. So minor input could help provide the support and guidance that would unlock individuals. So I think understanding those stages is important. And as you were talking, I had another thought. I wonder about the role of organizational processes in this and sort of a nature of work that exists within this as well. So some work where it's repeated on a more regular basis, certainly in the finance world, some aspects of work are very procedural. So for a lot of, say, if you're doing month-end type financial work, there will be a very detailed process flow of what happens at what date, at what timeline, on what file, and who it's sent to. And it's all defined in working days. I don't know how people know this, but there's you know working day minus five, minus four, all the way down to flipping over to the new month, and you have working day one, two, so on. And each day has a series of tasks that are defined within it. So within that type of structure where there are predefined processes around a cyclical delivery, there isn't so much space for individuals to not be able to be organized and meet deadlines because the whole current and momentum of an organization is anchored around process and timeline and date. So I wonder if there's a role or something to consider in for proceduralization, I don't know if that's even a word, of what's going on in here. So those are just a couple of sort of reflections back on and what you had. Do you have anything you want to build on that? Or? I could talk about this forever because I think there's just so much what ifs in this. Mm. It's very hard to give any one answer. But I think your point about process is really important. There's a couple of things it triggered off in me. Generally, I think your point about where is the problem in the work, like map out the work process and going, where is this person not? Where do they get stuck? Right. Yeah, where do they see they get stuck as well? We'd like what's their perception. So I think that's a really important conversation because I think. My experience of certainly smaller organizations is there are not nearly enough of their work that has standardized workflows or work processes. And I think they misunderstand how easy that would be to do. I think they think it's a whole like project. It's not sometimes it's just literally writing on a scrap of paper. This is the order we do it in, taking a photo of it and sticking it on the wall and then taking it off every time you've done it. Like it doesn't have to be. Yeah. And you can tweak it a bit, right? You can start that way. And if you want to make it better, then. Yeah, 100%. The acknowledgement, I think, is an issue. I think, but that also made me think of two things that we do a lot in our doing more by less seminar, which is around task acceptance and task delegation skills. So, Mm -hmm. one of the things that we know and we use quite, we talk about quite a lot is task acceptance. So, and I listen, I am hands up admitting that for the longest part of my career, I didn't do this. So, We know that when someone accepts something onto their task list, i.e. they write, they speak, or they do something that says, yes, I own this, they're more likely to get it done. So when we send someone an email to say, hey, I'd like you to explore three options. I'd like you to explore and find three options for charity to give to this year. If we send that email, that person has had something to add to their list without them accepting it on in that organization. But if you make the norm in the organization that it's only accepted when they write back to you and say, yeah, no problem, here's the date, I'll get it done by. Or if they have to tick it on a shared board or if they verbally have to say to you in a meeting, yeah, I can do that. And even better if you say to them, I'd like to give you this piece of work. Is this something you can do? And if so, by when? That increases your chances. So I really like task acceptance. I also think good task delegation, we talk about it a lot more in detail in the seminar, but we talk about what is the supervisory need? So once you've delegated it, what access do they want from you? Or what are you going to ask from them 
for accountability and update and progress information. So if I had a really experienced member of staff who didn't have any of these issues, I would probably say to them, let's make supervision on a needs basis. You email me when and if you need help in this project. If I had a really junior member of staff who only just started and was in their first job, I might say to them, we're going to meet every week. I want you to come with a list. If it was their first week in the organization, they didn't know where anything is, I might say to them, I want you to email me the minute you get stuck on something because we know there's going to be loads of stuff you don't know to start with just for the first week. So it's about what is that supervisory element. And then I also just want to share one thing which might help around the rescuer thing. So I have a problem with repetitive tasks that I build up in my head sometimes as much more challenging and more time consuming than I think they are. And I put them off. I used to do that with the operational budget of a charity I worked at. And my boss, who you've met, Russell, online, we've done an episode with him about ethical working, ethical leadership. Um, Russell locked me in once a month. He would take me away from the office. We would meet somewhere for two plus hours. And I knew the only thing I would have to do is go through the budget with him. So the night before, I would do the budget. Now, let's be clear. I never got better than doing it the night before, but it was always done the night before. And I always had to report to him on it. And it was painful for the first four, five months we did it. And then eventually it just became a habit. But he wanted me to take ownership of it, but he also knew it had to be done. And so he made a decision that he was going to put a lot of time and effort into it. And crucially, he made it really clear that the reason he was doing it was because he needed to write the financial report for the board in like, and it needed to be done each time and we needed to know how much money we had. Um, But it was, it never got better, really, but it absolutely got done. And I think just with the specific response to the listener is if it depends if this is all the stuff or some of the stuff. So with me, it's not all the stuff. Some stuff I do, like, it's just not an issue. I get it done. It's done straight away. It's always the odd thing that just suddenly becomes like this massive, awful, and in my head, it becomes much bigger than it is. But I guess I'd be really interested in your reflection, James. Like, obviously, in the world of accountancy, it happens less, more processes. But if this happened to us now, like if this happened within our working environment now and you were managing the person, what do you think you would do? I think a lot of the things that we've spoken about sort of cross over with this, but I think I would <laughs> and probably step back and think it was my fault because that's my default place is it's me, right? It's not them, it's me. That's my sort of go-to type of thinking and things like this. I'd probably sort of build out and try and explore a little bit more. Obviously, in this scenario, a bunch of that stuff's been done and those conversations have been had, but I would try and reflect a little bit more and, and think things like, what's the broader context? Is there anything else going on in this individual's life? Is this new? Is this a change? Has this always been the case? I would think about those stages. What work does this relate to? Is it relating to a stage? Is it relating to a specific type of work? I'd want to understand or ask myself, what level of pressure is the individual under? So are they under high pressure that maybe means that they're strained or stressed and consequently find it hard to think clearly? With that, I'd wonder if the total amount of demand being placed on this individual is realistic. What is it that we're doing that maybe supports this? Is the demand realistic and associated with the demand? It's not just the volume of work, but it's it goes back to that point around clarity. Do they have the right amount of clarity? They understand why the work matters. And if the answer to 
all of those things sort of comes back to say they're not under excess strain. The amount of clarity is there. As a leader and manager, I'm making clear why this matters. I'm communicating and delegating effectively. I'm providing a reasonable amount of check-in, support, guidance, helpful challenge conversations. If as a leader and manager, I felt that all of those things were being met, then I'd start to wonder about whether or not this was the right role for the person or if it was time for them to think about what's right for their career and whether they're in the right role. I think realistically, that's probably where I'd end up if I'd explored all those other avenues. And then I'd start to look at things like what are the things that the individual enjoys doing? What are the types of work that they thrive when trying to perform? What do they see their strengths as? What are the the capabilities they really enjoy using? And I try and see whether those mapped up to what's actually being asked of them. And if not, I guess there are a couple of things you could try and do. You could start to look at job crafting, shaping, adjusting the role into something that fits for that individual. If this is an individual that otherwise we really value and thinks brings great things to what we're doing, how can we change and flex the demands placed on them as an organization to help them thrive so they're more fulfilled and we get more delivery from them, better performance? I'd, I'd start to think about that. And if there was not another way, then it starts to look like, what can we do to help this individual find a role that does give them a chance to use their strengths, maybe moving to a different organization, different function, different team, whatever it is, internally or externally. That's probably where I'd go. And then ultimately, perhaps starting to think about performance management to document some of this and move to those more difficult conversations about it maybe being time to to move on. That's kind of where I am. What about you? I think at its simplest, and as a manager, I'm like, does this person understand what the job is and accept what the job is? Does this person understand they are not fulfilling the job? Does this person want to fulfill the job? Yeah. Can they fulfill the job? Can they fulfill the job? And then if that, the answer to that is no, do we need to change the job or change the person or help the person find something else? I think one of the challenges, though, I think if you as a manager keep rescuing someone and keep giving them what well, well, you're not rescuing them, you think you're rescuing them because you think you're giving them solutions. A, they're not solving it. But B, you're basically saying it doesn't matter. There's no consequences. There's no 100%. motivation to change this because this person is basically saying, and I have sympathy as this person, right? But you're basically saying, hey, you're not getting the job done the way I want it. And that means not getting the job done. And therefore, we need to look at how this is going to fix. Because if we can't fix it, then we have, we're faced with a real challenge here because you're not getting the job done, which means I need someone else to do the job or you need to change what you're doing. And I think that's really, really, really difficult conversation. You have to be really gentle around it. But also, I would say, and I've always said this, and I said this in the episode about bad behavior in meetings as well. I think if you have let things go for a very long time, and if you said, yeah, yeah, you do need to improve and that's it, then you need to give this person a chance to find a new way. So for me, that would be starting by saying, okay, things aren't getting done until they do. Every week for the next six months or three months, maybe, we're going to sit down and check your to-do list together. Or you're going to drop me an email with your to-do list. Or I'm going to look at your to-do list if it's online, which is the ideal. And I'm going once a week and I'm going to pop some notes about questions about what's going on. But I want an email every time you miss a deadline. And here's where the deadlines are written down and here's where we've agreed with them. You need a shared information point that you both agree. It's really, really important, no matter what this is, whether this is about organization, missing deadlines, whether that's the quality of work, whatever it is, there needs to be an agreed truth 
of what is needed to be done and when, right? Otherwise, it's easy to slip away. So, and I'll, I'll give you a very, very specific example, James. I can absolutely, you and I can agree a date and say, when do we need to get this done by? And we might say next week, right? Now, I will go away and in my head, I'll be like, okay, we said we do it next week. We haven't told the client that. So as long as I've done it by like the end of play, the Monday, the week after, that's a legitimate thing. And then I have to remind myself, no, we said this week, I'm going to go and write it down somewhere as Friday or Thursday or whatever it is, because generic terms don't work for people. Lots and lots of people, you say next week, you might mean by the beginning of next week, I might mean by the end of next week. Then I might mean, well, actually Friday, Monday doesn't make any difference because all our clients are Monday to Friday. And then suddenly it's drifted and you haven't done anything about it and other stuff is getting on your list. So I think that shared truth of what you've both agreed is happening and when, and therefore there is a truth about what's been missed and it's not been justified and it's not been called out. But I would say the biggest thing is calling it out and having a conversation about it. A real adult about it, like, let's look at the list. Okay, this isn't done. This isn't done. Was it a capacity issue? Was it a prioritization issue? Was it something else? It was prioritization. Okay, let's talk about what I would have liked you to do differently. We talk about sometimes like an information center or a huddle board, or we've got a range of different things that we use as tools to do that. But having that shared truth and often in a public place, you know, within the team, public within the team is a really useful thing. I kind of feel like we've covered a lot of the stuff in here. I think there's some some great sort of reflection in here. I've got one other sort of tangential piece that I'm going to bring in, which maybe is, you know, a cul-de-sac or a curveball or getting nowhere useful. I've got a sort of a reflection, which is sometimes about the quality of what we actually do need, right? So like, what is good enough? And clearly in this instance, it seems like in the example that good enough is not being met in, in terms of this. But there is a whole piece around how good do we need to be? Are we sometimes as leaders and managers looking to ask for more than we need? And there's just something in my mind here. What is good enough? Where, where do we need to get to with good enough? One of the things that sticks in my mind is that I think being a leader and manager is a lot easier when everybody that works for you is great. Right? And sometimes we've got to work with people that aren't excellent and that if we aspire to have everybody around us be excellent in terms of performance and potential, then that's an unrealistic expectation for us as leaders and managers. But also, I like here's something I think is true. If everybody working for you has huge potential and is a great performer, then chances are they're not going to be working for you for very long. right? And that brings a whole set of other challenges to it. So there's something in that balance that I think is just worth bearing in mind. I feel like we often aspire to always get to the stage of having wonderful people, but I don't think that's often a reality. But maybe that's just my thought. What do you think about this? I do agree. I think what I see mostly, though, is managers and leaders blaming people for organizations under-resourcing them. Oh, totally. And I don't mean in money or time, although that I do see that. Yeah, both of those. Workflows, work processes. To... So the practical example I would give you is all too often I hear people criticizing the way in which projects are managed, but the people have no skills, no experience, no training in how to actually do that. And critically, they've got rubbishy IT equipment, either hard or software. So they're trying to manage everything off Google Sheets. And no shade to Google Sheets. Google Sheets is amazing, but it's not the primary project management tool that something else might be that has a CRM system that's more advanced. Because Google Sheets is amazing, but you need to know how to set it up. You need to know how to link spreadsheets. You need to, to do all of that stuff. It shows up when I work with businesses who employ someone from a bigger business previously who has been a star performer. 
but they have been a star performer in a business that has enormous HR, project management, risk management, processes, all of that support around them. And there are exist pre-existing ways of doing things. And they come into a much smaller organization that doesn't have any of that. And the manager's like, but they were great XXX PLC. And now they're here over a little family business. That What's the problem? It's like, well, they were great in an environment that was already tooled up for them. What you're now doing is asking for a very different set of skills. You're asking someone to be able to make sense of the chaos and implement processes and then stick to them. And that is a different skill. I guess I just wanted to flag that because I think I see that a lot. And I think number one reason I see it for is businesses committing to do too much, trying too many products, or if it's nonprofit, trying too many projects or too many initiatives, spreading themselves too thin, not doing things well, not correctly working out the level of work it's going to take to keep things on. So you talk always about like new projects, runners and riders and stuff like that. And I think when you get a new project, it's really easy to say, hey, the first next nine months, we're going to set it up. And then no one says, oh, by the way, it's going to take someone half a day a week to properly manage it afterwards. And so it just falls behind. And then of course, it's harder to catch up. So I just wanted to flag that because I think sometimes the solution is not just about the individual. The solution is about how is this team functioning and what are the things we can do? But I also totally take on board your point about the point you were making about like different people being different levels of good at different things. And I think it matters. And I think I'll be honest, I've, I've seen people be brilliant in some jobs and the same person just, you're like, it's just not the right job for you. It's just not the right job. In the way that you're being asked to do it. Yeah, hundred percent. All right. Well, I think that's us kind of getting to towards the end of this. Um, I think we've covered a whole load of stuff in there, bringing a lot of different thoughts and ideas from concepts like, and these are all things that individuals can can look up and learn a little bit more about from things like transactional analysis, performance management, um, the SBI feedback model, coaching, job crafting, task acceptance, task delegation, things like observation and, and conversations with people to understand where they're struggling, where they're performing in terms of the steps of a process that they're going through and the types of work. And um, we've touched on neurodiversity. We've talked about the importance of having shared information centers, that shared version of the truth of what is asked and what is being missed. Um, we've talked about the, I guess, fit of an individual to a job, whether it fits with them and the skills that they bring and the things that they want to use. We've talked about the fact that this isn't just on individuals to change, but sometimes we as leaders need to do less rescuing and maybe let people stand on their own two feet in a supported way, but sometimes fall over a bit themselves so that they do learn some of those lessons. And we've also reflected on the broader demands placed on people and whether or not those are realistic and sustainable and whether those need to change, as well as the importance of thinking about the broader context that the individual is in and whether they have other stresses and uh, strains placed upon them that makes it harder for them to navigate in this space. So I guess sort of reflecting on that, one of the key takeaways for me is that, again, in this context, if I was here, I, I would start with some of that listening, a little bit more about exploration, and then trying to find out if I could change, if a person could change, if their role could change, if we could change their role. And if not, then it would be a conversation about how do we help somebody move on to a role that, that would help them be fulfilled and use their strengths and deliver well. So that's kind of my sort of reflection on today. Do you have any sort of other reflections, anything you want to share? It was a really interesting conversation because I think it would be very easy to give a very simple answer, which would be 
set up regular meetings, have an agreed list of what needs to be done, make sure they understand the impact of what's not happening and leave them to report to you on a weekly basis of where they live and fail so you have a shared agreement of how they're missing the mark. Don't get me wrong, that's not important. Of course it's important, but there is just so much more that will be helpful if you are genuinely intent on helping this person be better. Yeah, and of course, a regime of weekly reporting meetings on deadlines adds a whole layer of stress and anxiety to somebody's existence, which can have all kinds of detrimental effects. Yeah. So the one thing I was going to mention was like, if you look at agile working practices or or Mm. process ones like Scrum or something like that, picking and choosing the bits of that, whether it's a huddle, whether it's things like that, that's going to work for people, I think is really helpful. So Mm -hmm. looking at some of the project methodologies out there, don't apply them wholeheartedly if they're not the right thing for your business, but absolutely picking and choosing what are the things that would help us move this forward, I think can be really, really helpful as well. But yes, it's a hard one because there's so much to it and we don't know a lot of the detail. But like everything, it always starts with trying to understand the conversation and understand what's going wrong, right? Rather than just trying to throw solutions at it. Absolutely. All right. Well, why don't we leave it there? I think it's been a really interesting conversation. Hopefully it's helpful for the listener that recommended it. If you have any other management dilemmas you'd like us to discuss, please do email them in. Hello at worldofwork.io is a great email to use. And we'll pick those up and it might take us a few weeks or months, but we will absolutely get onto them. So with that in mind, I think it's just time for us to say goodbye. So it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Hi, it's Jane. I just wanted to say thanks for listening to the whole episode. If you enjoyed it, if you have a question, or if you just want to say hi, you can find us on Twitter at worldofwork underscore IO. Don't forget, you can also find out more about what we do, including our online seminars, workshops, and development programs on www.worldofwork.io. 